I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is supported by the Jib Foundation. Well, no matter how you look at it, the first interest rate rise in almost 12 years is bad news for Scott Morrison. What today is about is what Australians are seeing as a result of our economy coming out of this pandemic. Scott Morrison's economic credibility was already tattered and now it is completely shredded. Yeah, within hours of the Reserve Bank announcement, the rises were passed on to mortgage holders. Big mortgages, little wriggle room. So less money on holidays and takeaways and all of those kind of things that you spend your money on. Um, really just makes our cost of living higher. Yes. Hello. Welcome to Jan Fran Has Issues. This is indeed the podcast where we break down the election one issue at a time. And given what's happened this week with the Reserve Bank lifting that cash rate, housing has been in the news, Daniel. Oh, yeah, and the cost of living is going up and up and up, which means less money people can jump on to Patreon and help us make a podcast, Jan. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought you were going to wait for the end of this episode for a plug. No. No. no I can't. I can't. I can't wait. <laughs> the, cash, the, the cash rate has gone up, Jan. 0.35%, Jan. People aren't, people aren't donating to the Patreon as often as they used to, Jan. This is going to be a disaster for this us. This is going to be a disaster for so many people. I'm excited this week to talk to Adam Bant, Jan. He is um, running a killer campaign for the Greens at the moment and got some interesting ideas uh, about housing prices and what to do with housing affordability, mm. but will he be able to get in, Jan? That's the big question. I mean, yeah, that's the quick question. <laughs> one one can dream big. Uh, but, yes, we are going to talk to Adam Bant a little later in the show. We're also going to look at the Coalition's housing policy, Labor's housing policy, the Greens' housing policy, and kind of put them all together and see which comes out on top. But before we do that, before we get to our main issue, as always, we like to take issue with something that happened this week. Mm. This week, I'm going to take issue with Scott Morrison saying that he doesn't see things through a political lens when asked <laughs> about it by a bunch of journalists. Have a listen to this. It's not about what it means for politics. I mean, sometimes you guys always think, see things through a totally political lens. I don't. 
Oh, that is great. What? Okay, I'm just going to say that in the past 12 months I've read two uh, biographies about Scott Morrison, one called The Game by Sean Kelly and one called The Accidental Prime Minister by Annika Smethurst. If there is one resounding thing that you take away from both of those books, which are completely different books, by the way, yeah, one resounding thing that you take away, it's just how much of a political operative Scott <laughs> Morrison is. That is all I'll say. In fact, claiming that he doesn't look at things through a political lens is a political thing. Like <laughs> it, it means the electorate, you know, the delivery drivers and the, the tradies around Australia are going, no, mate, he's not political. The other people are political. Yeah. I mean, if you, hey, if you're interested, I didn't intend to um, plug the books here, but The Game by Sean, Kennelly, by Sean Kelly, The Accidental Prime Minister by Annika Smethurst, have a read. The other person who thinks Scott Morrison is political because he would, because he's the leader of the opposition, is Albanese. For this guy to say that anything is not political, this is a guy who gets up in the morning and what he has for breakfast is political. This guy, for everything, is an opportunity to play politics. He doesn't have legislation, he has legislation. They sit around the Cabinet, they don't think about the national interests, they think about how can we wedge Labor on this issue. Reckon in that Cabinet room there's, there's sour cream and sweet chilli sauce there, there's so many wedges there. <laughs> oh, good on you, oh, Jason God. Clare, coming in. So many metaphors to describe this. Albo <laughs> should have just stuck with the breakfast thing. You know, what he had was political. He likes his toast and he smears it with jam and the NDIS and, you know, he could have gone that route. No, I love a good 90s cafe food reference. <laughs> Wedges with sour cream, baby. Yeah, yeah. Another good 90s cafe uh, recipe is focaccia, which is what this government is doing. They're focaccia it whole up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's your issue this week, Dan? My issue this week is this bloke who got up at Josh Frydenberg's uh, campaign launch and he, uh, he did uh, a few impressions. You know, Liberals will win because of Josh, but um, I'll, I'll just finish off with a bird call or two. Uh, kookaburra. <laughs> and, and a soft oppressive cockatoo. Now I, I, don't, I have to beg. I have to beg difference here. That was not a sulphur crested cockatoo. That was people who have home loans uh, when the RBA increased the <laughs> rate this week. So let's just make that absolutely clear. That guy was wrong. That guy was wrong. He really missed out an opportunity to do a pack of galahs, which is what the government is. Jam Fran has issues. All right, well, to our issue of the week, it is housing. And we're talking about housing. Well, I was going to say it's been in the news this week. It hasn't. It's been in the news for the past two decades. Because house prices have just risen slowly and slowly and slowly over an extended period of time. But this week the RBA did raise the cash rate, which means that if you do own your own home and you have a mortgage, you'll be under some added mortgage stress. There's also the issue of rents being on the rise. So we're going to try and work out what is the deal here with housing in Australia? Are you sick of hearing about house prices? Well, too bad. The rising cost of housing is, well, it's quite the problem. 
Two things. Less people can afford to buy houses and rents are on the rise. Let's look at the first issue, housing affordability. This is the ratio of housing costs to household income. In the past few decades, costs, deposits, price of property, cost repayments have risen a lot. Incomes, not so much. Put it this way, in Sydney, Australia's most expensive city, the median house price in 1981 was $79,000. I am choking just saying that. It was five times the national full-time average annual salary. In 2021, the median house price was $1.31 million. That is 14 times the average income. This has led to a wee thing called housing stress, which is where you spend more than 30% of your gross, not net, income on your property. Want to know how many lower-income households in Australia are under housing stress? More than a million. And that's based on 2017-18 figures. House prices have grown by 25% to record highs just since the start of the pandemic. But part of it is stuff that, you know, we could have looked at decades ago. Eliza Owen is a property analyst for analytics company CoreLogic. She says there are many reasons why we are in this hot mess. So when interest rates go down, house prices go up. And really, since the GFC, we've been in an environment of structurally low interest rates. And a lot of that demand also comes from innovations in finance that have allowed people to buy housing using housing. The fact that we've seen a lot more investor participation in the market over time, which can crowd out other buyers as well. And I guess in some pockets, we've not seen development and and new housing supply keep up. Righto. To issue number two, rents. They are rising at their fastest rate in 13 years. Again, several reasons for this. Here's Eliza. I think part of it has to do with COVID dynamics because you had a lot of people exiting our largest and most well-supplied rental markets and scattering to these areas that maybe aren't traditional rental markets and don't have as much available stock. I think part of it could also even be due to the home builder policy, the fact that a lot of people have committed to purchases of new homes that haven't necessarily been built yet, so they have to live somewhere. A lot of those completions of new properties are being delayed because of supply chain issues. We've also heard anecdotes of people just seeking their own space. So rather than renting out a second bedroom, maybe they're using it as a a home office. That change in demand happens pretty quickly, but an increase in rental supply happens slowly. And that's where a lot of the rub is coming from. Hmm. I must say the lack of rental relief in this year's budget was somewhat conspicuous. When asked about it, Scott Morrison said... This is about Australians getting into homes. Best way to support people who are renting a house is to help them buy a house. So, short answer, there's nothing in the budget for renters, but also, what? The best way to support renters is to help them buy a home? What about the 30% of low-income earners in the private rental market who don't have 500 bucks for emergencies, let alone the 5% deposit required for Morrison's first home guarantee scheme? What about them? And speaking of that scheme, this is the Coalition's plan to tackle the housing issue. 
50,000 first home buyers will be able to purchase a property worth up to 900k with a deposit of just 5%. The government will act as guarantor for the remaining 15%. So this means that you don't have to save as much and you don't have to buy mortgage insurance. Labor's plan? They are proposing a shared equity scheme. So 10,000 applicants need a 2% deposit to buy a home, capped at 950k, and Labor will contribute up to 40% of the purchase price of the property. This hugely reduces the cost of the home, but means that you don't technically own all of it. Labor is also pledging to build 30,000 new social and affordable housing properties in its first five years. They're the two major party policies, but Eliza reckons there's actually more to think about when casting your vote. Think about what you want housing in Australia to be and, and vote that way. If you're comfortable with housing being that source of financial wealth gain and investment vehicle, then that's going to really inform how you're going to vote. But if you want that kind of change and focus on housing to be more of a, a social good that is where people just live, um, then obviously that's going to be important to keep in mind when you vote as well. Housing as a social right versus housing as a way to build wealth. The coalition sees it as the latter, which is not inherently bad. It just seems to be working out for some better than others. Labor sees it that way too, although not quite as much. There is one party that sees it very much as the former, though, the Greens. But to turn this ship around, eh, difficult. Housing has become so entrenched in our broader financial system. You know, it's something that helps people fund their aged care. It's something that helps people fund their health care. It's something that helps them build wealth in their family. And it makes up more than half of wealth for Australian households. So trying to undermine that value and take that away is pretty controversial. Mm, it is controversial, but the Greens are going to jump at the opportunity and here to tell us how is the leader of the Greens himself, Mr Adam Bant. Adam, welcome to Jamfran Has Issues. Hi, thanks for having us on. First of all, I just I, I, I need to get straight into it, try our luck with this question. What is the wage price index? <laughs> <laughs> okay, mm. You go to a search engine of your choice and have a look at it, you'll probably oh. find that. Look, I tried Bing. It didn't come up. Um, but maybe I'll try Ask Jeeves and we'll go from there. So on this, F, Adam, we're, uh, we're talking about housing. You know, obviously it's been a very big topic this week because the Reserve Bank has increased the cash rate for the first time in 10 years. Before we get into all of the policy stuff, I'm just kind of interested in, in your reflections on housing in Australia. How, how do you see housing? Do you see it as a way to build wealth? Do you see it as a human right? Or do, do you see it as a little bit of both? Housing is a human right and it should be a key role of government to ensure that everyone's got a secure and affordable roof over their head. But that's not what it is in Australia at the moment. Uh, it's pretty cooked. It's become a, a vehicle for investment and speculation. And so you've got housing prices going up and up and up sort of turbocharged by government policies because they've lost sight of the fact that it should be treated as a basic right, but is instead being treated as a stock market. So talk us through your policies to kind of make housing more affordable here in Australia. The big problem is that 
prices are rising too fast and debt is growing. And so people who want to buy a house end up with massive mortgages, but it's also pushing up the price of rents as well. So we've got, uh, we're reaching crisis point. The average mortgage when Scott Morrison came to power was about $340,000. It's about $600,000 now. Um, during the last 18 months of the pandemic, prices went up by about 25% for buying a house. What do we need to do? Well, we need to do a couple of things. One is stop making the problem worse and stop pushing up prices. And that means reining in the uh, billions of dollars that are given every year in tax handouts to people who've already got multiple properties to go and buy their fourth, fifth and sixth. Like that shouldn't be, we shouldn't be spending public money uh, on schemes that push up house prices and push them out of reach of first home buyers. Are are you talking about negative gearing in this instant, a tax break for investors? Yeah, so negative gearing and capital gains tax discounts. um, It's into the weeds, but it's important stuff because it basically... Um, these are the tax breaks that say if you've got uh, multiple investment properties, you can write off any losses as a tax break. But then when you come and sell them, you can get a further tax break. So we're saying um, allow uh, people who've got one investment property, so what are often called mum and dad investors, like allow that to stay. So if you've got one investment property, that's okay. But for after that, don't expect government support. Like, don't expect a government handout if you've got two or more investment properties to um, uh, to push that up. It's about six billion dollars every year that the government spends on people who've got more than two investment properties mm. on handouts in the form of negative gearing and capital gains tax discounts. So we're saying that we have to grandfather negative gearing to people who've got just one investment property. Um, so stop fueling this problem by pouring money into the system. Secondly. Just one point on the negative gearing stuff, because I know that Shorten took it to the last election in 2019 and he lost that last election, which says to me, I don't know, I could be wrong, but people don't want that. (laughs) Well, I think the main reason that the last um, election went the way it did was because Clive Palmer bought up pretty much, you know, 90% of the space available on the airwaves and spent millions of dollars in advertising. Like it was Saturation Palmer running attack ads on the opposition uh, that I reckon played a big part in the last election. But also I think that, you know, look at it now, three years on, the problem's got a lot worse and house prices are, say, 25% rise in the last 18 months of the pandemic. And I think this time around people understand that um, housing's cooked and we need to do something about it. I think there would be the appetite for, for a, what I think is a sensible policy of ours of saying, allow it for people who've got one property, but you've got to start reining it in uh, for the for the very wealthy. We don't need to be using public money for that. Um, secondly, as I said, the, um, the thing that we would, the, the other piece of the puzzle is to have a big build of affordable housing, uh, housing that people can rent for 25% of their income or buy into for about $300,000. And we're proposing a million homes over the next 20 years. And the cost of doing that, we've had it all costed, the cost of doing that is about a third of the tax breaks. So like, it's about $21 billion over 10 years to do this. Um, we're giving $63 billion in handouts over 10 years. Right, let's Instead of giving money to people 
to buy their seventh house that pushes up prices and makes it harder for you to, for you to buy your first. Um, oh, Adam, for- I can tell you, as a first homeowner buyer I'm right now, I'm look, I'm in the market for my first place. I'm already worried about my third place. I've got to, you know, <laughs> got to keep that in mind the way this market's going. Like, man, I'm, I'm, I've just scraped together my deposit for my first, but I've got to keep that eye on the ball for my third and fourth place because otherwise I'm going to be left behind. No landlord left behind, Adam. <laughs> No landlord left by. I'm not even a landlord. I'm an aspiring landlord. <laughs> well, I, I think this election, it's it's probably time for a renters' revolution. I, I think the um the I think the third part of it is that no one's talking about renters really at this election, mm. and more and more people are renting in part because the housing market is so difficult. Uh, but I think we need what one of the things that uh, that means I reckon is that we need a rethink about. Um, the rights of renters and we need to give renters more security and in other countries where renting is more the norm you have the right for long-term leases you have more protections against being evicted at the end of your tenancy on for no grounds but just because the landlord might want to put up prices um it's that kind of thing i think that we need here as part of a national protection and standard of of renters rights too Hmm. okay so you've put forward um one million publicly owned affordable homes to be built over the next 10 years. Um, There's sort of 750,000 will be public and community house dwellings. There'll be 125,000 for rental homes that will be constructed and 125,000 that are sort of part of a shared equity scheme. So that's kind of how you've you've split that one million homes. As you said, it's going to cost around, you know, $21 billion. I think the Parliamentary Budget Office had, had it down for 23, but in that vicinity anyway. The thing is, there's scope for quite a lot of volatility over the next 10 years and and just, I guess, a little bit of uncertainty um, in terms of, you know, supply chain, labour issues, construction costs. Um, What happens to your plan if the price of construction goes up and how do you stop it from creating knock-on problems? I think the one certainty that, you know, you can take to the bank is that if we don't do something, then the problem's going to get worse. I mean, just look at the trend at the moment and if we keep going with the tax breaks that we are and without building more public and affordable housing, the problem is just going to get worse. I mean, I think that is a certainty. We're proposing a million over 20 years right so you can 20 years sorry i said 10 years yeah sorry that's that's a good correction costings that you're referring to are over 10 years that's how far ahead the parliamentary budget office looks um look part of the problem is that housing is being built and sold and treated for profit it's that stock market syndrome that i was talking about before what we're talking about is a rethink of that and so we're saying um government should be in the business of treating housing as a human right And so we're talking about building and then renting out or selling on um, not-for-profit basis, okay? So, yes, so some costs may go up, uh, others may go down over the 10 years. One thing we do know is that governments around the country sit on a lot of land. They have a lot of land from former sites, you know, former defence sites and the like that they have. Um, Here in Melbourne, where I live, the state government owns a lot of land in the inner city, uh, that's we're saying bring that to the table and the Commonwealth builds houses and puts on top puts them on top and so a lot of those will be units sort of rather than freestanding houses um, there's going to be a, a lot more units that are that are built but once you stop making it about being for profit and once you start saying government's got a role in ensuring everyone's got a roof over their head the costs come down dramatically 
I, I just love this quote from the Financial Times from a couple of weeks back about how they articulated what our housing economy looks like. And the quote is, the housing economy consists of residents buying and selling property from and to each other for ever higher prices using borrowed money in a surreal pyramid of paper wealth creation. And it's like, it, it, it somehow it requires a journalist from outside of Australia to look at Australia with fresh eyes to go, oh, that's a bit fucked. Um, Are they calling us a pyramid scheme? <laughs> that's it. I, really, that, I guess that's what negative gearing is, really. Like, be, to be able to, like, flip houses for ever-increasing ever prices is a pyramid scheme. Yeah. Uh, okay. If only we could build pyramids and people could live in them, um, that might actually be a better way <laughs> to solve the housing crisis. That won't be a very cheap alternative, though, Dan. Let me just say, I think the pyramids took, like, 100 years to get built. Okay, what you're proposing, Adam, I think requires a real rethink of the of housing in Australia. But we are so property obsessed in this country. I just want to give you a ridiculous story that is like the most Sydney story that has ever happened to anyone. <laughs> I was going for a walk with my partner in the neighbourhood and there was a house that had a for sale sign in front of it and it said sold. And I said to my husband, I said, oh, that's the house that my sister was talking about that got sold recently. What did it sell for? And so we're standing in front of this house, in front of this sign without, you know, athleisure wear on, trying to go on domain to find out what this house sold for. And a woman strolling a baby just saunters past, doesn't even look in our direction and says 1.8 million and keeps going. And we were like, thank you. You know, no hello, no stopping to chat. We're here to talk brutal real estate in Sydney. Adam and that woman with the pran didn't have to Google anything. (laughs) (laughs) But just on this point of it being a a, a big rethink, like yes and no. I was explaining this, this idea of the government, you know, building housing and people being able to rent it at a fixed part of their income and to someone the other day, to a journalist, and they said, yeah, it's kind of like what Menzies did, isn't it? And it's like, I don't quite know how to take that, but the, the comparison <laughs> to Menzies, like in this instance, I'll maybe take it as a compliment, but the, um, like it's, we used, you look at those big tower blocks that, blocks that we have sort of around my electorate of Melbourne, for example, that you see that are all public housing, they were built in the 60s, right? And population mm. has grown since then, but the big build of public and affordable housing hasn't. So like, it's there's been this mind shift where it used to be something the government did was take it on as a responsibility to do it, and we dropped that off. But secondly, part of the reason that we're putting forward this scheme is that a chunk of the homes would be available if people wanted to buy into, you could buy into, and you buy into for about 300000 you'd use it to pay down, and at the end of it, uh, if you want to, you can sell it back to the government to sort of get the uh, amount that you've gained on your, uh, on your mortgage, um, or you can stay there for as long as you want. So it could be used as your first rung on the property ladder if you want to. And again, it's a shared equity scheme, but one that doesn't, sort of just keep shoveling money into the private market to push it up, but gives people uh, sort of a rung on the ladder. This, this is happening at a local level. Um, my my mum, for instance, is bought into a retired retirement place owned by the council, the local council, and it's not going to go up in value at market rates. It's only going to go up in value at a fixed rate uh, as per council rules at about 3%. And that's in order to keep that place at a reasonable price so that the next person can can take it over. 
you know, who needs aged care. And I think that is that such a makes complete sense to me. And it it works on a small localized level, and surely it could work on a, on a federal level too. This sounds like a. I, I'm sure there would be people out there who look at this plan and go, "This is a great idea. This is exactly what we need, and we need it to happen right now." What is the likelihood? of this eventuating though, Adam, because Albo has said he's not going to enter into a power sharing agreement with the Greens. So for the people banking on this policy, I mean, how much should they unclench their butt cheeks? Well, <laughs> you know, Anthony Albanese and Scott Morrison have both said, oh, look, if there's a um, minority parliament, we're not going to talk to anyone. Um, it's our way or the highway. But, you know, all the commentators and polls are suggesting that that's where we're heading. And, there's every chance, and certainly in the Senate, but no one is going to have a majority. And I think this is the election where we can tackle housing affordability. And I think people want it tackled. And it's not just people who are struggling to get into the market. It's parents looking at the kids going, oh, hang on, actually something is different from when it used to be for, for me. And I can see the problems that are coming now for future generations. We've said very, I mean, I can't speak for what um, Anthony Albanese and, and Labor will say they'll do. Um, I'll leave it up to you to, to listeners to decide whether or not, if they're one or two seats away from the Treasury benches, whether they're really not going to talk with um, people who are sitting on the crossbench. Um, but I can just speak for what we're going to do. And what we've said is that uh, this, together with climate, are going to be at the top of the list that we put on the table. And um, one of the things that we're seeing this time that we haven't seen last time from Labor is a move towards more spending in social housing. Um, and at least they're, yeah. they're taking one step towards it. And so it's one of those one of those areas, I think, where uh, it's ripe for agreement and we can put our ideas on the table, they can put theirs. And I reckon it's something we'd, we, where we'd have a lot of common ground to talk about. Okay, I'm not... Um... I'm just going to fully admit this because there's no point in pretending. I'm not hugely cluey about economics, but I do know a little bit about supply and demand. And if there's suddenly more supply in the market, the prices kind of go down. So will this drive house prices down? And is that going to piss off quite a lot of people in Australia who own homes and are hoping to maybe fund their retirement that way? or to, you know, use that as a way to build wealth creation for their families? Well, I guess that's part of the reason that we're saying can, you can continue to have it for your one investment property, continue to, to, to take those breaks if you sort of built things around that. But I guess... But I want 10 properties, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, good on you, but I don't know that you should be lining up for a government handout for it. I guess that's our point, you know, basically. It's there's better things for government to be spending its money on. But look, I think Part of what we're talking about is developing an alternative pathway in, right? And like saying, let's let's stop the in insane, you know, incredible price rises. Like stop it going up quite so quickly by removing a bit of the heat. Um, but there needs to be an alternative way in, and that's affordable for people. So we're saying, I guess, the the the, the market will continue to do what it does. And but let's develop a parallel pathway for people who are currently locked out because otherwise they'll never get in. And that's the that's the pathway where it's affordable, where it's pegged to your income, um, and we can buy in for say three hundred thousand um, dollars. I want to ask you about Labor and the Coalition's plan for housing. There is a catch, though. You're only allowed to say one nice thing about either of those policies. So let's start with the coalition. What is one nice thing about Scott Morrison's first home buyer grant scheme? 
it is lovely for you if you are a seller of a house because it helps push up the price of housing. And as a seller, you'll probably do very well out of it. Mm, interesting. That's good. That, that, I'm sure my brother would be excited about that. I can I can see you. I know our listeners can't. You are saying that through very gritted teeth, sir. Okay, to Labor's plan, they've got 10,000 spots, a 2% deposit required and a shared equity scheme of up to 40%. What's one nice thing about Labor's plan? Well, it's good that they've recognised that part of the solution is government um, building some more housing, but it's kind of a drop in the ocean um, because it won't touch the sides because the problem is much, much bigger than that scheme will solve. Okay, we veered from the nice oh, sorry. thing to, okay, well, you can edit to, it. You to the reality. <laughs> <laughs> now, Adam, can you say one nice thing about Jan before you go? <laughs> this is the loveliest podcast I've ever been involved in. This is terrific. <laughs> God, if you were as sincere as you were saying that with the last two, Adam, I don't know whether I believe you or not. You might believe it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like all our episodes, we kind of like to keep voters front and centre. So if you're a voter, you're going to head to the booth May 21. If housing is a really big issue for you, Adam, what would you counsel voters to think about this May? So this election is going to be really close and the Greens are set to be the most powerful third party in the parliament. Um, And if you vote Greens, we will kick the Liberals out because they've pushed up housing prices. And in balance of power, one of our number top priorities will be to push the next government to tackle housing affordability by building a million new homes um, over the next 20 years that people can rent for 25% of their income or buy into for $300,000. We're putting renters and first home buyers and people locked out of the housing market right at the top of our priority list. And if you don't get in, uh, can we look forward to $20 million, million homes being built? Uh... <laughs> you know, schemes for, schemes for gold-plated bathrooms will continue <laughs> under the Liberals. I'm sure that that is the case. Hey, Adam, thanks so much for joining us on Jan Fran Has Issues and talking us through all things housing and bon courage for the next few days and weeks of the campaign. Thanks very much. Jan Fran has issues. Always great to talk to Adam Ban and always great to discuss what a utopia could look like, Jan. Well, somebody has to, Dan, because everyone else's policies are too real and too tangible. Someone's got to have us thinking about the bigger picture here. That's not true. That's not true. The Coalition's policy is actually really good. Have you heard their campaign launch for it? I haven't, but something tells me I'm about to. Here it is. Take a listen. The federal government is working hard to ensure all Australians have a home with CheckBuilder. We're building 10,000 new homes over the next 100 years using the most sustainable resource known to the coalition, novelty-sized checks. Previously, every single novelty-sized check that a coalition politician gives to a scout hall, sporting club or small business had to be shredded at a bank in a novelty-sized shredder. But with CheckBuilder, they will be turned into social housing. Rest your head each night in a room constructed of Scott Morrison's broken promises. I'm very okay with the idea of building car parks. Take your morning dump surrounded by the signature of Bridget McKenzie. I am very proud of the Sports Grants program. Or stand in your kitchen surrounded by million-dollar views of million-dollar checks made out for Josh Frydenberg's car parks that never got built. Now, with respect to the car parks in my own electorate, they haven't been built as yet. 
And the more promises the coalition makes, the more houses we can build. With Check Builder. And that's a promise you can take to the bank. Authorised by the Novelty Size Government, run by Novelty Size Men, Canberra. <laughs> yes, Check, check builder. builder. Yeah, it, it, it's we, good. We criticise the government for not doing enough to combat climate change and a deteriorating planet, but they are recycling. And <laughs> that's what I like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, on that recycling bit, you know that recycling ad campaign they put out uh, a few months ago about how the government is turning trash into into new things? No. Uh, that ad campaign cost $11 million and the actual donation, the actual climate action to actually create that thing was like something like $3 million. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hashtag fail. My goodness. <laughs> so, yeah, these, these guys are big on recycling. It's fantastic. All right, what's coming up in next week's show, Dan? Next week's show, we are once again going to be promising to talk to you about climate, but like an every other media organisation, <laughs> we will probably not talk about climate. But talk about what happened on maths last night. No, we are going to talk about climate. That is happening next week because I know it is one of your favourite topics and we are going to squeeze it the hell in there before the election because it also happens to be quite important. Yeah, it is the number one topic on everyone's list according to ABC Vote Compass, so that's pretty interesting stuff. And one other thing, don't forget, we are doing a live Irrational Fear show for our 10-year anniversary at the Opera Freakin' House. A huge lineup, including Gabby Bolt, Mark Humphreys, Paul McDermott is doing it too, Sammy Shah is coming up from Melbourne for it, Lewis Hobber, as well as myself. Oh, and Veronica Milsom as well. It is going to be a great 10-year show, so do get your tickets to that. Go to comedy.com.au for that one. In the meantime, let's thank some people who have put this show together. Big thanks to everyone involved in making this show today. FNK Media, thank you so much. You are wonderful, excellent producers. Big thanks to Adam Bant and big thanks to Eliza Owen. Big thanks to you, Jan. Big thanks to the Patreon supporters who keep us running. Big thanks to the Jib Foundation for financially supporting this podcast. Big thanks to Road Mics for our gear. And also big thanks to the Gadigal people of the Euronation where Jan and I record this show. And remember to vote rationally. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.